So now when you see this person on campus that you don't recognize, that's what he looks like. Uh, again, thank you for those of you who helped sponsor the, um, the bus transportation for our kids for, uh, for summer camp this year. Um, it's, it's quite an expense, and we don't want to... We want to keep the cost down for the students, so your generosity really helped with that. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, I want to start off today with a bit of a poll, show of hands, Um, and I've done this from time to time over the last 28 years, Um, but it's always interesting to me to to get the responses. So here's a deal. I would like you, um, how many came to faith in Christ, became a follower of Jesus because somebody came knocking on your door? Not very many. One. Okay. Uh, how many came because somebody gave you a leaflet or a tract or some kind of uh, pamphlet to look at and read over? No one? Uh, how many came to faith because um, of a TV preacher? No. One. All right. Um, how many came to faith in Christ because a friend or a family member, somebody that you knew, shared their life with you, shared their story with you, in such a way that you felt like, I want to get in on that life. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And every time we do this, it's the same response. That, that it overwhelmingly, most people become followers of Jesus because someone else, who they knew personally, shared that story, shared their life with them. And that is the way it has always been, by the way, for the last 2,000 plus years. It has always been from one person to another. Because when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about a relationship. And the only way you can really share a relationship effectively is to be in a relationship. And, um, and today we're wrapping up this uh, second section of this Believe series. We have been using this book, which, by the way, again, if you have not yet picked up a copy, this is your first time, these books are free for you. Um, we encourage you to stop by the information desk and pick up your copy. Um, it's, been, it's in three sections, and what we're doing for this year, the first part was about what we believe, and the second part, which is what we're wrapping up today, is how do we believe? How do we act out on the things that we say that we believe? And then in the fall, uh, we're going to pick it up again, and we're just going to talk about, so who do we become as we've put our lives into practice in the things that we say that we believe. And so today we're just wrapping up this last section about how do we believe, and it's really all about sharing your faith. Um, But more important, not sharing your faith so much as sharing your life. Because if we truly believe that this life that Christ has invited us into, this life that, that he has made possible for us, truly is the best way to live, and if we believe that this life is available to everyone and anyone then it would only make sense that we would want to share that life with somebody else. And so today we're going to do that, and we're going to be looking at one person's story, um, became a follower of Jesus, a rather unlikely follower of Jesus, but a follower nonetheless. And his life was so transformed that he actually wrote one of our Gospels. And he writes about his own story in his Gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to follow along. Um, and this is what Matthew re- writes about his own story. He said, as Jesus was, went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, that's him talking about himself, um, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a short little story, and yet it transformed a person's life. And I think there's four themes that carry through here, and I think it's applicable for each and every one of us. How do you share your faith? More importantly, how do you share your life with other people? How do you invite other people into this life that you've discovered in Christ? And, And by the way, if you're here today and you are not a Christ follower, I'm particularly glad that you're here today because what we're going to be talking about is essentially what it is that we believe in and why it has transformed our lives and why we want to share it with other people. And it's my hope that it would make sense to you enough to say, you know what? That's the life that I want to get in on. Now, you've got notes there in your, um, in your bulletin that you handed out or on your smartphone or tablet or whatever you want. So for those of you who are note takers, I'm going to give you because it's just four words. Okay, this is the outline. This is the fill in the blanks. If you really got to get those blanks filled in and want to make sure you get them right, I'm going to give it to you up front. All right. And then you can kind of put it aside and, and listen. So here they are. Um, the first one is include. Okay, second blank is going to be engage. Third blank is going to be risk. And the last one is trust. So on your way out today, when you shake hands and I say, so what was the sermon about? You're going to say it was about including, engaging, risking, and trusting. Because you know what the blanks are and it's only four words. And if you can't remember that between here and now, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, so just to make sure that you really have it down, we're all going to say these words out loud, and then we'll kind of get into them and explain what I mean by all of these, okay? So this is what today's message is all about. Include, engage, risk, and trust. Now, I asked some people after the first service, so what were the four points? And like three out of four. So we're going to do it, so make sure you really get this. All right, so here it is. Four themes when it comes to sharing your life are include, engage, risk and trust. Okay. So now you got that. Let's talk about those things. First one is include. Including people is what Jesus did. Jesus was the most inclusive person you could possibly ever meet. He was always breaking through those barriers. He was always crossing the line. He was always looking for ways to include other people into this life that he was inviting them into. And, and he, would do, he would talk with, he would have conversations with Samaritans. Nobody talked to Samaritans in those days, not if you were Jewish. In fact, he actually made the, a Samaritan a hero of one of his stories. He, he, he healed the servant of a, of a Roman centurion. Nobody, if you were Jewish, you didn't like the Romans. They were the occupying army. And yet he healed one of his servants. He, he would have conversations in broad daylight out in the open with women, which again, if you were self-respecting Jewish rabbi, you didn't do that. That was like taboo. But he was always crossing those barriers. He was always breaking through those walls and, and, and blurring those lines of distinction because he was all about including. Matthew was one of those outsiders. Matthew, we're told, was a tax collector. That's what it says, that Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow him, he told me, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, to be a tax collector in those days was more than just working for the IRS. Okay? To be a tax collector, that was like, that, you were despised. You were, you, were just, you, were, you were considered to be a traitor. You were considered to be a, a collaborator. Um, that, that, that the term was talones. And to, to, a talones, it was a, um, a, a, an office that you had to buy your way into, and it was quite expensive. And so when Rome was looking to gather these taxes, which, by the way, all that money was going to Rome, not staying there in Jerusalem for them. It was going off to this oppressive uh, occupying army. 
And so, you know, to be a tax collector, that was like you were betraying your, your country. You were betraying your heritage. And they were notoriously corrupt. Because the way that the system worked was that a tax collector, and there were taxes like, there were like toll roads, there were all, everything was taxed. Everywhere you looked, there was a tax collector for something. And, and as long as Rome got their portion, a tax collector could charge whatever they wanted. They could really kind of decide what it was. So tax collectors always kind of had that fine line that you wanted to charge enough to make it lucrative for you, but not too much that, that people would want to kill you. Okay, that's kind of where tax collectors fit in. And, and so they were, they were considered to be traitors. Um, they were notoriously corrupt. And then on top of that, and you don't know this from Matthew's gospel because he gives, he gives his, um, his Greek name or his Roman name, but his, his, if you read Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, they give you his, his Jewish name, and his Jewish name was Levi. Now, if you don't know anything about the history of the Jewish people, the Levites was the tribe that, that um, they were to do the temple work. That th- these were the people that, were, that, that worked in the temple, that, that was part of the religious system of its day. And so here is Levi, who was supposed to be doing, you know, his mama raised him, you know, to be a good, you know, acolyte in the church or whatever. And, and now he's not only left that, but he's become a collaborator with Rome and a tax collector at all of that. So he was like, he was, he was even a disappointment to his family. And Jesus comes along to him and he says these simple words, follow me. Now, Matthew was not the first disciple that Jesus called. A little bit earlier in his gospel, he tells a story about how uh, James, John, and Peter were called. So James, John, and Peter, they're already with Jesus. And we're not sure how many of the others have already become followers of Jesus. But here's Jesus, and he's got this entourage already kind of coming together. And these were like upstanding, uh, tax-paying, hard-working kind of folks. These guys had been fishermen. And so these are the guys that had to pay the taxes to this guy who sat in the tax collector's booth. And now Jesus brings these guys along and he calls to, to Matthew and he says, now you follow me too. And you got to wonder, what are these other guys thinking? It's like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Wait, I mean, yeah, we, we are fine upstanding pillars of our community. We're hardworking taxpayers. And you're going to bring this guy into our group? But that's what Jesus did. And he gave... Matthew, the exact same invitation that he had given to James and to John and to Peter. And it was simply, follow me. Now, Matthew didn't know what he was doing, didn't know where he was going, but he did decide to follow. And here's the deal. And here's my question for you this morning. How inclusive is your circle of friends? How, how open? Because we live in a society and a culture right now that it seems to me to be becoming increasingly divisive. And everybody's staking out their territory, whether it's political or economic or, or whatever it might be. And, and everybody's fighting against each other. And my question for every one of us is, how inclusive am I? How inclusive are you? The people that don't see things the way that you see them, the people that are difficult in your life, the people, the people that you tend to avoid. What could you do to be a little bit more inclusive? Sometimes I think our opinions get in the way of our love. And Jesus taught us to love. And so the challenge, I think, for all of us in this one is, how open is your circle? How wide is your circle of friends? 
Jesus was constantly looking for ways to include people. In fact, Paul summed up his ministry this way, that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Far away. Jesus was constantly opening up that circle, always looking for ways to include. And I think one of the things that might be really helpful for us when it comes to sharing our faith and sharing our life with other people is just to ask ourselves that question. How inclusive is my circle? How open am I? And what if, what if every one of us just this week began each day with the prayer, God, help me to see people through your eyes. Help me to find a way to include someone else who might be on the outside of my circle. And then throughout the day, have our eyes open and look for ways to include. Include and engage. Now engage is a little bit more than just including. In engaging, what I'm doing is I'm getting involved in somebody else's life. That, that I'm actually taking them and getting to know them personally. I'm, I'm, I'm making time for them. I'm spending time with them. Engagement is more than just a, hey, how are you? Engagement is doing life together. And that's what Jesus did. So he invites Matthew and he says, now follow me. And, and what Matthew does is he throws a party. And he invites Jesus over to his house. And here's the deal. Jesus went to Matthew's party. Look at the next verse, verse 10. That while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, this is a big deal. Because to go to somebody's house, even as it is today, but much more so in that culture, to go to somebody's house meant that you were a part of their circle. To go to somebody's house and to break bread with somebody else would be to say that I'm with you and you're with me and we're together, that we are truly friends. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is breaking through that barrier and he's actually engaging. And here's the thing. It wasn't just Matthew at Matthew's house. He says there were many tax collectors and sinners there. So make no mistake. This was a party. This was not a quiet, subdued. I mean, look at the invitation list, tax collectors and sinners. You know what kind of party that's going to be. And by the way, if you wonder, you know, about tax collectors and how despised they were, they had their own category. It's like, you know, a sinner could say, well, I might be a sinner, but I'm not one of those tax collectors. (laughs) They're really bad. And this is the invitation list because these are the only friends that Matthew has. Because he was ostracized from the rest of of the community. These are his only friends. But he invites his friends and he invites Jesus together. And Jesus goes. And you got to understand, Jesus was totally comfortable with that. He had no problem being at that party. And again, you kind of got to think, what were the other disciples thinking? Because it's one thing to say, okay, that guy can come in. But now you put us in a room with all of them. I'm sure they were uncomfortable, but Jesus was totally comfortable. And here's the deal. When you engage in people's lives and you start to share life with other people, you find out they're not that different from you. And all those walls and barriers and distinctions that you have made up, you find, no, they're just like me. They have the same struggles, the same hangups, the same difficulties, the same pressures. And that's the idea of engagement. It's getting to know people. I have, over the last 28 years of pastoring this church, I have had to be deliberate and intentional about doing that. And especially as we've grown as a church, because there's a lot of church people now that I know. 
But I have had to, over the years, intentionally be engaged outside of my church with other people. And when our kids were younger, we were involved very much with youth sports and, and, and different things through that. Over the years, I've been engaged in the sailing community. And what I have done is I have built friendships outside of my church family. And what's happened is over the last 28 years is I've been involved in those people's lives and I've walked through them through marriages and divorces, through losses of a spouse, through the struggles that come with an aging parent, not knowing how to handle that. And when they become belligerent and, and, um, and um, losing their mind and faculties. And I've walked with friends through those things. And over those years, I've had opportunity to share with them and to share my life with them and to share my faith with them. And I would love to say that every one of them has just become a follower of Jesus just like me. They haven't. But I've continued to engage because they're not projects, they're people. They're my friends. And that's what Jesus did. He engaged with people and he, and he began to share life with them. And it's what he's doing with Matthew, and he's doing it with Matthew's friends. And, and what happens is, when you do that, it does change the way that you look at people. Paul wrote about it this way, the Corinthian church. He said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We just don't look at people the way that we used to now. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. When you engage in life with somebody else, and you begin to do life with other people, you begin to build the kind of relationships that open up those opportunities. And you start to share your story with their story and you share your life with their life. And God opens up those doors and opportunities. And when he does, here's the third word, word, it's risk. Take the risk. Risk means stepping into the unfamiliar. Risk means putting myself in a place where I might be uncomfortable for the sake of making somebody else comfortable. Risk is taking the chance. Risk is what Matthew was doing, inviting his friends to meet Jesus. Because again, you got to think, this is like two completely different groups of people. Uh, you know, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was, he, he was, he was a, a religious guy from, from what most people would know. And, and then you have the tax collectors and sinners who were like way outside of the religious realm. And he's brought these two together. Think of, the, think of the risks involved in that. I mean, think of Matthew. He says, okay, well, if I invite, gosh, if I invite Jim, you know, Jim, boy, he can have a foul mouth sometimes. And I'm not sure how that's going to go over with Jesus, this rabbi. And, and, and maybe Jesus can handle it, but what if, what if those other followers, what if those other disciples, what if, they start, what if there's an argument over this whole thing? You know, what if, what, you know, what, and, and, and what, if, what, if, what if my friends walk away from me and I lose these friendships because now I'm following Jesus? There were all kinds of risks involved for Matthew, but it was worth the risk for him. He was willing to take the risk. Jesus himself took the risk in all of this. He risked his reputation. As a rabbi, as a teacher, now he's hanging out with the wrong kind of people and absolutely did not sit well with any other religious leaders. In fact, that's what happens. When the Pharisees saw it, it says, they said to the disciples, why did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, here's the deal. You kind of got to picture this whole thing in your mind. There's a party going on over here. And these are all the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is in the party with the tax collectors and sinners. Outside of the house, you know, front yard, front porch, wherever it might be, these are the religious people, the Pharisees. 
Okay? And they're looking at what's going on in there, and they're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you got the disciples, and I kind of picture this. They're like kind of standing in the doorway because they're not sure where they're supposed to be in this whole thing. It's like, yeah, I, I want to be with Jesus, but I, I don't know if I want to hang out with those people. And, you know, and I think these guys are right because I don't think we should be doing this kind of stuff, but I don't want to be with them. And they're kind of just stuck in the middle. You ever find yourself feeling that way? It's like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be right now. And so the religious leaders say to his disciples, what is your teacher doing hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And they're kind of stuck in the middle. And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I'm not even sure where I'm supposed to be. But Jesus, he's on the inside of the party. And I guess he's close enough to the door because he hears what the other guys are shouting at his disciples. And he overhears it. And he shouts back to them. And he says, hey, hey, tell them this. Tell them it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And then Matthew's sitting right next to Jesus. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you calling sick? Are you saying I'm sick? I mean, you've got to kind of picture this whole thing in your mind. But here's the deal. Aren't we all sick? I mean, honestly, we are all sick. We all know that. We, we, know, we know that we are not living up to the standards of God. We know we don't live up to our own standards. We tell our kids not to do things that we did. We all know it inside. But here's the deal. It's only those who are willing to take a good, honest look at themselves and admit they're needy, admit that they're sick, and admit that they need help that are going to find the answer. And the irony of the whole thing is the guys who were outside who thought they were well didn't know how sick they really were. On the inside, there's people who know their need. There's people who are longing for a sense of belonging. There are people who are hungry for a different kind of life. And Jesus is hanging out with them. And I don't know about you, but I want to be where Jesus is. We have made it a point over the last 28 years as a church to be the kind of people in the kind of place where people who are outside feel comfortable being inside. And I made a decision a long, long time ago that I was not going to care about what religious people think of me. I care much more about those outside the kingdom and what they think. And I want to engage with them because I want them to find the life that I found. Only those who are willing to honestly admit that they have the need are the ones who are going to find the answer. Only those who are willing to say, I need to go to the doctor, are going to find healing. If you think about it, Jesus took an even bigger risk. Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, says that though he was equal with God, chose not to grasp onto and hold on to that, but he made himself nothing and became human. And being found in human nature, he became a servant. And as a servant, he was obedient even to death on a cross. He was willing to take that risk. We sing about it, the reckless love of God. That's his love for humanity. 
And when we will include and we will engage and we will take that risk, we are lining our our hearts up with God's heart for people. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. You who were far away have now been brought near. I think sometimes it's really good for us to take time and remember how far away we really were and what it took for Christ to bring us near. I think it makes the risk a little bit easier, which goes to our last word, which is trust. Trust the power of grace. Trust the power of God's grace. It is life-transforming. It changes lives. It changed people. Jesus let go of divine privilege and he made himself a human. He took that risk. He, he, he gave himself on a cross and then he rose from the dead, um, overcoming death and sin and hell. And he did it all for us so that we could put our trust in him. And that is the message of grace. That's what, that's what, what Jesus says to these uh, Pharisees outside. He says to this, go and learn what this means. Now, again, these Pharisees, their whole life was studying the scriptures and interpreting the law, okay? So these guys were students already. But he says, you know what? You know all the right answers, but you haven't learned anything. Go learn what this means. And that would be an insult to them. And then he quotes scripture. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, the Hebrew word mercy has said, same as our English word, we would translate grace. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you guys, all of your efforts, all of your doing good, all of your study, all your religious activities, all of that kind of stuff, all the sacrifices that you're making, just learn this. I don't want your sacrifices. I want grace. Learn what that means. I want grace. See, the message at its simplest of the gospel, the message of grace comes down to two words, do versus done. Do is all about my efforts, my doing, my not doing what I shouldn't be doing. All of those things that I try to do to get myself straightened up, to get myself right with God, all those things that I try to do to earn God's love and favor. And it doesn't get me anywhere. All that sacrifice doesn't get me anywhere. Done is about what Christ has done for us. And he says, you got to get off of the doing. You got to trust in what's been done. Because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that is the message of grace at its simplest. And in that there is no room for self-righteous religionists. And there's also no need for guilt and shame anymore. Because he has brought us near. Paul wrote about it to the Roman church this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's powerful. And it's powerful because the power behind it is the power of God's spirit himself. Jesus put it this way. The spirit gives life. The flesh, all that doing, counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and of life. And as I look around this room today, I see faces of people whose lives were transformed, 
who maybe were caught in an addictive or compulsive behavior that was destroying their life, and the grace of God has transformed them, and they found new freedom and new life and new hope. I look around at the faces of people who first came in here broken and hurting, and God has restored families, marriages, and lives. I can look around this room and see the faces of people who first came to Northgate when they were in high school through a Young Life program. And now they're here with their wife and their kids, and now generations are transformed because somebody made an invitation and somebody said yes, and lives and families have been transformed. And that's the message of this gospel of grace that we preach, including everybody. And if you're here today and you've been ever made to feel like you don't belong, can I tell you that's our fault, that's on us, because that's not our Jesus. And if you're looking for a place to be engaged and do life with other people, that's what we're about. And every step of faith is going to have its risk. But you can always trust in the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me? So here's how I'd like to wrap this up. I'd like for you to think of one person. One person who's maybe outside of your circle that you could work on including. It might be that person at work that you avoid might be somebody that you don't particularly like, but if you would just work at including them, you might discover they're not all that different from you. I want you to picture that person in your mind. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for them when we close. And then I'd like you to think of another person that maybe is in your circle of friends, but you haven't really engaged in life with them. And for you, it's a decision. You know, I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to explore that friendship and deepen that relationship and make room and make time and spend time with them. Just one person. And then maybe a third person, someone that you know, someone that you're engaged in life with, but that risk of actually sharing your faith with them, that's hard. But you would say, you know what, I'm going I'm to take that risk. If you can think of at least one person in one of those categories that you would be willing to say today, Lord, I want to make a difference in their life. I want them to find the life that you've given me. And I'm going to work at including, I'm going to work at engaging, I'm going to take that risk. I'm just going to pray for your strength to do it. Can I pray for you as we close? Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. If you've got one person in any one of those categories, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, 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 all right, yeah. can make a difference for eternity. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know that kind of a relationship. Maybe for you, your whole life is about doing 
and a lot of good religious activity and a lot of really good things. Maybe you've been a lifelong church attender. Maybe you're here for the very first time, but you've never entered into that life with him, this life of grace. And maybe today, your first step of faith is just simply to say, God, I am tired of trying to do this on my own. I need your grace. I know that I'm sick. I know I need your forgiveness. I need that life that only you can give. And you're willing today to honestly come up to him and say, God, would you put your grace into my life? I want to follow you starting here, starting now. That describes you and you want to take that first step of faith. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a little bit? I want to acknowledge you and just lead you in a prayer as we close. So, Lord, you know us. You know our hearts. Thank you for your grace that is so embracing, so including, so engaging. We all have friends, family members, people that we would love to see put their faith in you and and find that life that you have for them. And, and, And we want to be a part of that. So just in raising our hands today, we said, God, would you somehow use me to include, to engage, to take that risk? Give us the strength to do that and the boldness to do that. And for those who've raised a hand saying, for a very first time, God, I am taking my life and I'm putting it in your hands. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. I'm putting my life in your hands. Today, I'm following you. Lord, in this moment, as they pray that prayer, may they know that you are now a part of your family and they belong and they can follow and you will lead. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.